the Holy Family Chapel Hill podcast, where you will find our weekly sermons, as well as the occasional reflection, conversation, or interview. We are glad you are here. Welcome. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Just a few minutes ago, we heard of Moses that he was buried in a valley in the land of Moab. That phrase, he was buried, can also be translated, he buried him in which case the he in question has to be God. That's so much better, isn't it? God buried Moses, which seems infinitely more beautiful and more true. Moses and the Lord are unusually close. God caught Moses' eye in the burning bush, and when Moses turned aside to get a better look at this wondrous thing, God spoke to him, and so it began. The Lord sets Moses at tasks Moses is certain he cannot do. Moses, in turn, talks God out of giving up on Israel, which at times God must have longed to do. Both the Lord and Moses get worn out trying to get this stiff-necked people where they're supposed to go. They sound like Rich and I used to talking about recalcitrant children. Your daughter refuses to budge. But this points to an extraordinary intimacy between the Lord and his prophet. It says in Exodus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses would go up Mount Horeb to listen to the Lord. He'd come down with his face so lit up from these holy chats that his people couldn't bear to look at him. He had to put a towel over his head until the shininess wore off. The Lord loved Moses, and Moses loved the Lord. Almost all of Deuteronomy is Moses' instructions to the people of how they are to live in the promised land. Over and over, he tells them, the Lord brought you out from slavery. The Lord will defend you from all peril. The Lord, your God, will bless you beyond all imagining. And at the last, he brokers the agreement between God and God's people. The Lord your God will be your God. You will obey him. He will treasure you. You will keep his commandments. He will set you high above all nations. You will be a people holy to him. Moses carries out the Lord's instructions and exhorts the Lord's people to hear and obey. And he does all of this, knowing he won't get where the people are going. But perhaps that is the point. The people are going. It's not entirely clear why the Lord allows Moses to see but not enter the promised land. 
Maybe because at Meribah, when the Hebrew people were desperate for water, Moses struck a rock and said, we command water to come out, when he was supposed to say, God commands water to come out. Or maybe it was because he struck the rock instead of just speaking to it. Or maybe it was because of some sin of the people for which Moses is held accountable. The text doesn't spell it out. But Moses knows what's going to happen because God told him. He even asks God to change God's mind, but God says, no, and stop asking me. Moses knows all of this, but he never stops being the Lord's man. He wouldn't. He couldn't. He loves the Lord his God and trusts him utterly. And maybe that is also the point. Moses' trust in God allows God's people to continue on. So maybe God keeps Moses on this side of the promised land to underscore that the future depends on God and not on Moses. This was never entirely about Moses. His story is not a story about a hero, but about a people whom God chose to be God's people. And maybe Moses dies outside the promised land because the vision and the promise and the work are too big to risk having anyone confuse Moses for the Messiah or to think that life with God in the peace of God is within the realm of human possibility rather than divine promise. I've been holding tight to that divine promise and what God can do with and through God's people. At this very moment, the land Moses saw is erupting in violence, and so many people, some 40% of whom are children, are being slaughtered. Here at home, I cannot tell you how many times I have finished writing a sermon only to hear that another community has been torn apart because another person with another gun has gone mad, and I am left wondering, how do we put all these things together? How do we hold the accounts of God's saving acts in Scripture together with our desperate need for God's saving acts now? Living in God's peace seems not to be within our grasp. When Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees and asked which commandment is the greatest, he goes straight to the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy to answer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he adds a bit from Leviticus, another of Moses' five books. And also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For some white, educated Americans such as myself, loving your neighbor as yourself has gotten tangled up with self-care of the sort marketed by Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop, as if loving oneself meant investing in really good bath oil. I don't think that's what Jesus means. I think he means something closer to what Orthodox theologian Thomas Hopko says. We become fully ourselves only in our love for our neighbor. We are, after all, created in the image of the one who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So, of course, we cannot live into the fullness of who we are meant to be all on our own. We are called to community and communion and relationship in as many different ways as there are people. It's not about me. It's about us. Or rather, it is about me but about me in relationship to you and you and you and 
all of us in relationship to God. Jesus isn't sorting through the commandments to choose the best ones, but showing that the entire Torah points toward love of God and neighbor. Love God. Love your neighbor. That is yourself, because that is what people who love God do. And in the story of Moses' death, we see that love. It's interesting, isn't it, that what, Moses, what Israel celebrates about Moses isn't his moral rectitude or his heroism. What's important is that his face shone, that God knew him face to face, and through him parted the Red Sea and brought his people out from slavery and blessed them with his life-giving law. Moses may have died outside the Promised Land, but he is the one through whom Israel learned to know God. He's not left out. He is embedded in the people's life with God. He is how Israel remembers God as the Lord their God who brought them into freedom. The point of Moses is not Moses alone, but Moses and Israel and God bound together in covenantal love. Those of us gathered here this morning are blessed with resources and social capital and power. Most vitally, we are blessed not only with one another, but with God's presence in our midst. I will be with you even to the end of the age, Jesus promises. We can, therefore, either act on our trust in God and beg God to intervene and to make us instruments of God's peace, or we can despair. I don't see any other options. And I believe despair is a temptation, not a viable choice. In Moses' self-giving love for Israel, in God's care for Moses in showing him the reality of the promised land, in our memory of Moses as the prophet who lived his love for God and neighbor, we see the love that God intends. Please, God, may we also be blessed to carry that love forward and shine that light into the dark. May we be blessed to love God with every bit of our lives and to love our neighbor as our very self. And somehow, Lord, through your merciful, unlimited grace, may we be led home to the promised land and live there together in your peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about the Church of the Holy Family at holyfamilychapelhill.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week. Peace be with you.